This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Monday. We've got a busy show planned for today. We're going to speak first about policy matters with Jackie Fatka, the policy editor from Farm Futures Magazine. We'll have that conversation in just a minute. In segment two, we're going to talk with John Baranek of DTN Weather. This week is going to be a hot one for most folks tuning in right now. John will give us an update on the spread of that heat as it comes. And then in segment three, Mr. Arlen Suderman will be joining the program. He's the chief commodities economist at Stone. And on Friday, we had a couple of big government reports move the market CPI data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and we saw the supply and demand estimates come from the USDA. Arlen will help us break all of those issues down. But first, let's talk policy. Jackie Fatka from Farm Futures joins us now. Jackie, tell me about Prop 12. It's back in the news. What was it that prompted this fresh flurry of discussion about this case now pending before the Supreme Court? You know, we are um, the final stages of this challenge is is going before the Supreme Court. And um, actually, on Friday, we had the first briefs filed by the National Pork Producer Council, American Farm Bureau Federation. Both of those organizations are trying to defend the position that Proposition 12 is, is unconstitutional, that it is not right for a state such as California to mandate production practices. And in this case, they're trying to mandate how much space a sow should have. And, and it's not only what would happen in their state, but they're also mandating what would be able to be sold in their state. And so that's a big challenge. But last week, I think everybody was a little caught, uh, at least I was caught by surprise to see some traditional friends of agriculture uh, who were actually asking for the Solicitor General, which is the top Biden administration lawyer, to actually sign with California that the Proposition 12 is, is, is acceptable and that it does not go against what the Constitution allows. And one of those senators was that who signed on to that was Senator Stabenow, the, the leading Democrat for the Senate Agriculture Committee. I mean, I think we maybe wouldn't be as surprised as Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker who would be signing that because obviously Cory Booker is a, a, is a well-known vegetarian and has, has often been opposed to meat production. But when you hear Senate Senate Ag Committee Chairwoman Stabenow on that list, it just makes your head scratch a bit. It does. It does. And the tone of that letter, we discussed it briefly on the show last week, folks. You can tune into Friday's episode to hear that. It, it was certainly very negative and, and cast the, the industry in a very negative light. And Jackie, I was surprised the White House hasn't taken a position on Prop 12 as of yet, have they then? They have not. And this was this letter from the Democrats was actually asking for the the solicitor general general to to make a, a end of the court brief is what they're called. Um, and actually, some ag groups actually or some other legislators actually responded and said, hey, we don't want you to do that. And so there's there's definitely a poll um, bipartisan letter as well that was saying, hey, we don't want that to to be because there is a lot of concerns from not just the ag industry, but you know any industry that would actually sell something into California that that produces it somewhere else. Um, you know this could have a, a really widespread impact, and and that and that's really why the Supreme Court is probably taking this up because it does have many implications beyond just the ag industry, but especially for the ag industry. Going to be watching as this case moves forward, and we're seeing the first briefs that were filed just Friday, and we'll see some more of those friend of the court, and then we'll see if the solicitor general does uh, offer her insight on whether this is something that is is constitutional or not constitutional. Obviously, it doesn't have any say on what the Supreme Court would choose, but it does offer the ability for the top administration lawyer to to make their their opinions known on the cases. All right. I'm sure we'll be hearing more about Prop 12 as it moves towards that Supreme Court hearing later this fall. Jackie, we're also going to be hearing a lot about the farm bills. Producers right now facing that margin squeeze as input prices climb. Commodity prices are elevated, but I don't think anybody figures that's going to last forever. What are the recent discussions on the Hill? 
Yeah, so we're getting some more uh, oversight hearings that are happening um, on, on the different titles of the Farm Bill. There was one on the nutrition title last week, and it does sound like we could have another fight on SNAP funding and how that that kind of gets split. You know, that's a that's a marriage between the nutrition part of the Farm Bill and the commodity title and how we protect farmers. And so that was a hearing. But then another hearing that was uh, the subcommittee that really does oversee the, that Title I commodity title that we're so familiar with with the farm bill you know there's a lot of discussion on how we we approach the next farm bill which is expiring in 2023 and how we may account for the fact that we do have really high commodity prices today and whether those commodity prices are going to fall which you know history shows us they normally do but it often takes several years sometimes four or five years to see those input costs come back to a level that is more in line with what the prices are at. So, you know, right now we, we're dealing with high prices and high input costs. So, you know, farmers are able to manage that better. But as we know, this is going to kind of ratchet down. How do we make sure we have that safety net in a way that accounts for those high input costs? So there was a lot of talk in, a, in that subcommittee meeting on the House side last week to really kind of flesh out, you know, is crop insurance a way to protect against some of these disasters? Um, is there a way to include margin in in the safety net? You know, we have the dairy margin program right now, but for those in the dairy industry, they also know that it took us two farm bills to get that right. And there's still some some kind of discrepancies on on how you set a margin because, you know, at the end of the day, we want to make sure that farmers are still farming. Um, and, and but it is also important that there is a margin there that they can that they can make money. It doesn't matter that if prices are really high, but if they can't actually make any money, then they're probably not going to be able to continue. And so a lot of discussion on how you do that. One of the suggestions was maybe doing a pilot program with with a commodity to see how you could do that, because each commodity is also very different. And if you set that margin wrong then you could you know we don't want to we don't want the government to be dictating what you what you plant and how you plant and so that that's a real struggle i think with how you manage the margin part of this too and maybe you know attaching that kind of an escalator when it goes up but also when it comes down and so a lot a lot of uh unknowns on how how we're going to manage that going forward jackie are partisan sides developing on the margin protection issue or is the discussion just getting started you know, I think it's just getting started, but obviously you're hearing a lot more from the Republicans about the the in the the input side and the inflation impact on on agricultural as a whole. And so, you know, you're probably hearing more noise from the Republicans, but I think that's just because, and that's a little bit more partisan. But overall, I think this is a lot of fact fighting. the The House Ag Subcommittee hearing last week featured four well-known ag economists who are looking at this not from a partisan standpoint, but you know, how does this best provide that safety net for farmers going forward? And, and like I said, we all know that what goes up must come down, but for some reason, those commodity prices usually come down much faster than those input prices. And so we've got to figure out how do we make that right safety net if, if we want to keep having a, a, be a self producer of our food and not just relying on countries around the world to provide our food for us. That's the truth. Jackie Fatka, policy editor over at Farm Progress. Thanks for joining us this week, Jackie. Always great talking with you. Have a great week, Mike. And folks, stick around. John Baranek of DTN Weather will join us here after the break. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Hi, I'm Secretary Tom Vilsack. In my 40 plus years of experience in the ag industry, I have seen firsthand the tremendous value and influence of the census of agriculture. A complete count of our farms, ranches, and the people who operate them that tells the story of U.S. agriculture. It highlights trends, needs, and the great impact agriculture has on every American as well as folks around the world. 
Ag Census data also informs federal, state, and local decisions that will affect you and your operations for years to come. If you're an ag producer, no matter the size of your operation, urban or rural, and you did not receive the 2017 Census of Agriculture and did not receive other USDA surveys, you still have time to sign up to receive the 2022 Ag Census this fall. Every voice matters. To sign up or learn more, visit nas.usda.gov backslash ag census. Thank you. Get the coolest savings on propane during the warmest months with the Summerfield program from FS. The FS Propane Summerfield program offers customers the opportunity to fill their propane tanks during the summer when demand is less and prices are typically lower. From periodic propane system inspections to convenient payment options, you'll appreciate what FS dedicated propane professionals can do for you. Contact your local FS member cooperative today or visit fspropane.com. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, thanks for making AOA a part of your day here today. Boy, the story on the weather front this week is that summer is here across the country for a lot of folks. Big heat wave expected to hit, uh, really, I think, everybody this coming week. John Baranek of DTN Weather going to give us some more of those details. John, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Mike. I appreciate it. Let's talk about this heat that is coming. John, I understand the West Coast is going to be hammered today with potentially record-breaking heat. Is that the case? Not the West. Uh, it'll actually be right here across uh, the, the middle of the country. Um, from the Rockies to the Appalachians, uh, almost the entire area is under some sort of heat advisory or heat warning uh, going here for today and tomorrow. A lot of temperatures here uh, will be in triple digits in the plains and getting close to that here both today and tomorrow uh, and in some places on Wednesday across the Midwest. So uh, lots of heat going on uh, ahead of this next storm system here is a we're starting to see a ridge building across the middle of the country, and that's going to be kind of our major theme throughout the, the summer here. Uh, and we're starting to see the, uh, the, the beginnings of that uh, coming to fruition here today and this early this week. All right, John, so this ridge is developing. This is a ridge of high-pressure air that's super hot. Is that the situation? Yeah, so, yeah, ridges of high pressure across um, uh, the upper atmosphere really tend to promote heat and dryness at the, or really kind of the cause of heat and dryness uh, at the surface. So uh, whenever you hear that term ridge and it's over your area, be, be prepared for some, some heat uh, to, to definitely be uh, in your area. All right, John, when we hear a heat and that kind of heat and humidity that we're dealing with across the, the central part of the country today, oftentimes I mean, that feels like energy in the atmosphere. Is this thing going to spin off and create some severe weather threats? Yes, we do have severe weather threats um, going here through through the week, really. Today is kind of a, a little special event uh, might take place here. Um, a lot of people may hear the, the term deratio being thrown around this morning, uh, potentially uh, developing here this afternoon. And what we've really got is here, we've got thunderstorms across southern Minnesota and northern Iowa. They're starting to come together uh, just north of, of the warm front where all the heat's coming from. 
and a lot of moisture is, is, is in that too. So you're right, it's producing a lot of energy for uh, thunderstorms to use up. And if we get this, uh, these clusters here to put down a cold pool of air at the surface, they like to ride right along that, along this front. And uh, if they do it over a long enough distance with strong enough winds, uh, that it becomes uh, what's called a deratio. Uh, it has to be at least uh, 250 miles long of, of wind damage reports, and there's got to be several of those over hurricane force, which is at least 74 miles an hour. Uh, both of those uh, conditions may be met today, and we're, we're talking about kind of southeast Minnesota through northern northeast Iowa down into Ohio as a potential corridor for that occurring today. So anybody in those areas should uh, should pay attention to the weather. It could get kind of nasty today. So, John, I mean, that's a four-state range you just talked about. You could see this developing there over southern Minnesota, you mentioned, and then sweeping across, would it be the northern part of Illinois, Indiana, and then into Ohio? Should it develop this afternoon? That's right. You, you can even include southern Wisconsin and uh, lower Michigan into that as well. So all those areas uh, right there kind of in and around the southern Great Lakes will have potential for, for that to develop. Of course, it all depends on exactly where these thunderstorms develop, where some of these kind of drop those pools of cold air and, and how they ride along at what time. So, um, you know, pay attention to your, your the, the National Weather Service, your local weather authorities to, you know, kind of keep you updated on that. But uh, that whole that whole region has, has uh, potential for that to occur. All right, folks, be weather alert today. If you're in that area, Iowa, southern Minnesota, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, or Ohio, be alert. That covers a lot of geography. John, that's the risk this afternoon. Of course, these systems then are going to continue, I would assume, to push east across the country. Does this severe threat risk continue to push east as well? It does. So, I mean, we've got a lot of heat building up, but we've got a system out in the uh, northern Rockies and in the Canadian prairies. Uh, that will be pushing a cold front across the northern tier of the country here this week. We could see some severe weather with that. You know, it's kind of interesting. A lot of the energy associated, the upper level energy associated with it is up in Canada. So uh, not a whole lot of us here across the U.S. have a huge severe threat, even though we're going to be going from hot, humid air to somewhat cooler, drier air uh, later this week. So usually when that happens, we, we end up with some pretty big, severe, uh, sto severe storm outbreaks. Uh, today, I think, is actually the, the greatest one, but we could have some severe weather events here in the next few days, too. That would be, you know, kind of across the northern plains and then across the Great Lakes again. So uh, all these areas, again, could have uh, an issue with some severe weather uh, later this week as that front rolls through. John, any of this moisture going to make its way into the southern plains, or are they just going to be in a blast furnace for this week? Yeah, you know what we're seeing is, is, there a, is a pretty good pattern shift here. Um, this ridge that I mentioned here over the middle of the country, not only hot, but also dry conditions, and it's going to kind of stick around. We'll see disturbances and troughs kind of move over the northern edge of that ridge through Canada and the northern U.S., but we're not really going to see that across the southern plains. So there should be pretty, pretty dry. You know, occasionally there may be some isolated showers or a thunderstorm that pops up uh, kind of in the high plains from western Kansas down through west Texas. But uh, elsewhere, it's going to be pretty difficult to get anything through. So, I mean, unless, unless you're from Nebraska, Iowa, northward through the uh, north central U.S. and then north of the Ohio River, it's going to be pretty difficult to get anything of significance in there. Uh, there might also be some showers in the southeast, you know, um, moisture coming off of the Gulf of Mexico or the Atlantic Ocean could pop up from time to time. But that delta region and the southern plains can be very difficult. Um, and really through the end of the summer, I think, to get a whole lot of moisture coming back in. So we've had a really active period uh, through May and early June. It looks like we're really shifting that storm track northward now for the rest of the summer. No, not great news for pasture conditions and folks down there trying to keep those cows on their grass. John, you touched on the moisture coming out of the Gulf and how that can impact the weather across the southeast. Of course, we're into the tropical season officially now. Are there any events in the tropics that you're keeping an eye on as of yet? Uh, not really in the Atlantic Basin. Uh, there might be something that just, uh, there's, there's a whole lot of showers that are going to go through the, the Caribbean Ocean or Caribbean Sea. Um, and maybe getting into the Gulf of Mexico, but we don't have really the conditions favorable to uh, produce uh, a, a tropical system just yet. You may look at the end of next week, uh, some, maybe something there, 
We will probably have a, a uh, tropical system. I haven't checked on it recently, but uh, coming off on the eastern Pacific, so south of Mexico, but that one really should stay off in the, in, the, in the Pacific Ocean. It really shouldn't impact the U.S. at all. John, and I'm glad you brought that up. We've heard a couple of stories of, of active weather in the eastern Pacific, storms moving into Mexico from that side of the country. Do they typically have much of an impact on American weather, or do they kind of spin back out to sea and don't impact us much? Yeah, usually the, the storm track is kind of west or west-northwest, so they just kind of stick over the ocean. Occasionally, though, they do come up the west coast of Mexico and uh, move into the southwest. That happens a lot in July and August and contributes to their monsoon moisture. Occasionally, those systems will also move through the plains and, and rest of us, and we'll get some heavy uh, rain out of it uh, on occasion. Um, we don't see any of that coming up uh, anytime soon. And then there's also some, sometimes they cross over Mexico. We saw this uh, earlier with uh, Hurricane Agatha moved across Mexico and then became Tropical Storm Alex uh, after it moved uh, east of, of Florida. So I, they can do that as well. That's a little bit more rare uh, of an occurrence. It's, it's tougher for them to do that. But, um, yeah, sometimes they do, but most, most of the time they just move west uh, out into the Pacific and die out. All right, John, before we let you go, our Canadian friends in the north are getting planting underway. It's been a while since we've talked weather up there. As you look out at the Canadian prairies this summer, how do you expect things to play out? Wow, they're definitely getting some good rainfall here. So if, if everybody's been paying attention, the southwestern Canadian prairies have been very dry. It's been a lot like um, kind of the Southern Plains drought areas, and uh, they've really needed some moisture. And it looks like this system here this week's definitely going to give them several inches of rainfall for that to help out. Uh, in contrast, the eastern Canadian prairies have been very wet, a lot like uh, eastern North Dakota and northwest Minnesota. So um, they've been very wet and have needed some drier time. Uh, they got it last week, and I think we've seen planting really uh, increase because of that, but they're getting a heck of a lot of showers with the system this week. And with the storm track moving north now, um, they're going to be into it a lot here, uh, at least over the next few weeks. We have several systems moving through and some good rainfall. Um, you know, for those that have seed in the ground, that's a good thing. But, you know, there are a lot of areas there in the east um, that are still too wet to plant. And uh, we could be talking about prevent planted acres up there as well. All right. This wacky weather year continues. John Brannick of DTN continuing to keep us on the right page. John, thanks for joining us today. Always good to talk to you, Mike. Thanks for having me. And folks, stick around. Arlen Suderman of Stonex will join us after the break to talk about Friday's supply and demand estimates from USDA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. Farmer's Log, soil date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. Guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <laughs> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. While we take a look at the grain and livestock markets, we see red across the board now as we work through our mid-morning trade. The stock market and energy is under heavy pressure here in the overnight. That's continuing into this morning, and that is weighing on the commodities uh, as a whole here as we see that uh, grain and livestock trade looking like it's going to be a risk-off day there. We see that China reported a rise in COVID-19 cases and a return to limited restrictions over the weekend. That is something else we're keeping an eye on here, the market trade. But the big concern, of course, is the ongoing concern about rising inflation and higher interest rates ahead of the Fed meeting here on Wednesday. 
Friday's USDA WASDE crop report was about as tame as they come, containing few surprises. That leaves a focus now on the June 30th acreage report and also the developing weather story in the ag belt. Now we're going to be keeping an eye on as quarter wheat prices traded in the green early this morning on renewed crop concerns due to adverse weather in North and South America, Europe, and of course the ongoing problems in Ukraine that threaten available supplies there. However, again, as I mentioned, it's a general risk-off tone to the markets now as we work through mid-morning trade. Taking a look at a few of the numbers here right now. Core for July down two and a half, seven seventy and three quarters. December quarter up one and three quarters, seven twenty-two and a quarter. July beans down twenty-three, seventeen twenty-two and a half. November down twenty and three quarters, fifteen forty-seven and a half. July bean meal down six ninety a ton, four twenty-two twenty. July bean oil down seventy-five points at eighty oh six. July Chicago wheat up two and a half, ten seventy-three and a quarter. July Kansas City wheat up four, eleven sixty-six and a half. Spring wheat July up five, twelve twenty-six and a half. June live cattle down 187, 134.32. August down $2, 134.20. August feeder cattle down 325, 171.22. Hogs for July down 112, 104.35. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi. I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, thanks for joining us today, ladies and gentlemen. On Friday, here just a few days ago, a couple of closely watched government reports were released. First thing in the morning, we saw the CPI data come from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. A little bit of a shocker, higher than the trade was anticipating. We'll talk about that in just a bit. And we saw the supply and demand estimates, WASDE, released from the USDA at 11 o'clock Central Time on Friday. That one didn't move the markets nearly as much, but we still got to get up to date on what the data was to help us do that. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stonex, joins us now. Arlen, let's talk WASD first. You anticipated not a lot of changes, and that's how it played out. Were you surprised by anything on Friday's report? No, not really. Um, I think as we look at this, we did see the hard red winter wheat crop get a little bit smaller, but no big changes in wheat production, pretty much as expected. What will be interesting is we get into the June 30th report and we see final acreage for corn and for spring wheat to see what we may have lost there. But even then, we're going to get the regular debate of, you know, did farmers really know on June 1st what they were going to be doing? We'll probably see a resurveying of North Dakota, Minnesota, maybe another state or two, and with the results released in August. So that's going to keep that hanging over our heads. And then on July 12th, USDA will release their first real production estimates based on field surveys for the spring wheat crop. Uh, giving us a better handle. Then we'll have, right now, USDA is assuming a quote-unquote normal spring wheat crop. So it kind of masks what maybe some of the problems that are out there. USDA increased uh, Ukrainian corn production by 5.5 million metric tons. Uh, I believe it's 25 million metric tons. That's down from almost, almost 43 million metric tons last year. Uh, the increase in production, though, did not 
result in an increase in exports, holding them at 9 million metric tons. Uh, and I think that's going to be one of the keys to watch going forward is how much is Ukraine able to export. They've been able to get over a million metric tons exported over land to the west here in recent months by some sources, maybe as much as 1.7 million metric tons. Um, but all that's going to change now as we get into the European harvest and and uh, the rail and infrastructure within Europe, Eastern Europe starts to focus more on their own crops and getting their putting priority on moving their own crops and storing their own crops. So that's probably going to create some problems getting exports out of Ukraine here over the next several months. Uh, and and that's the bottom line. Ukraine's going to fill up all of its storage, plus try to find some creative ways to store additional crops as they're starting to harvest wheat right now. But if it's unavailable to the world market, it's still unavailable as if it doesn't exist until it can start moving. And it doesn't look like that's going to be for quite some time. So USDA, I think, handled that pretty well. No you know, nothing really here. That means that the focus is now on the acreage and stocks report on June 30th, and maybe even more significantly than, than that on the developing weather pattern that we see over the Ag Belt, because ultimately that can have a bigger impact than any changes, you know, modest changes in acreage on uh, June 30th. Yeah, and I think the next couple of days of high heat are really going to get the trade thinking about that risk as it plays out over the summer. Arlen, you touched on the European wheat crop beginning their harvest right now. Of course, Ukrainian folks and people in Eastern Europe are really excited for that crop to, to come out and they can start trading it. What have we heard on Europe's wheat crop? How does it look as they prepare to harvest? Well, I think you're going to see a lot of variability. We've had a lot of drought conditions and dryness conditions in some of the southwestern parts of Europe uh, and scattered other places as well. And then you've had other uh, regions that have seen some good moisture. So there's going to be some good and some bad. I think overall the total crop is going to be a little bit smaller than what we'd like to see considering the shortage of supplies in the world. Uh, and, and the key is now with some of the heat that we're going to see, it looks like the heat is going to be kind of relatively short term in southwestern Europe. But for some of the wheat that's not quite made yet, it could take some of the yield off the top and maybe a little bit of the quality off the top. We'll have to watch that going forward. Um, but again, it's it's just inc incrementally kind of taking more off the top of uh, in a relatively tight situation. Arlen, supplies are relatively tight in really all the physical commodities right now, and yet we've got soybeans down 28 to 33 cents across the board here. What is happening in that market today? Yeah, welcome to the world of algos, algo computer trading. Uh, a lot of our traditional traders have stepped aside in these markets because of the wild volatility that's made them more difficult to trade. And so the computers just kind of take over. And if momentum starts to the upside, they pile on buy orders. And if the momentum goes to the downside, they pile on sell orders. And we're seeing those sell orders being piled on right now in soybeans. Let's keep in mind that we're in a broader risk-off sell uh, liquidation mode across the board today. And as trade, many of these fund managers see losses escalate and, and significant losses in some cases in, in the other markets, they may need to liquidate some of their assets and the commodities in order to pay some of their bills. And so we may be seeing some of that. Do I sense any change in the fundamentals? Not really. We do have a softening of demand for soybeans in China. Um, what crushed last week was only about 1.64 million metric tons. That's less than they're importing each week. Um, so struggling demand there. The market's probably reacting somewhat to that. A lot of it's technical in nature, though, as the momentum builds to the downside, these computers just keep piling on additional sell orders, uh, adding to the downside momentum. And that downside momentum is not just in soybeans. It seems market-wide today, Arlen. So I'm guessing of Friday's reports, the one that really had a bigger impact is that CPI number from early Friday morning, 8.6% inflation rate. Arlen, do you think the Fed is going to have to go bigger when they come out of their meeting later on this week? 
that's what the market's really afraid of. Now, let's let's be clear here. The stimulus that we saw, both monetary and fiscal, uh, fiscal and monetary stimulus, was good for the markets. We know from studies that a lot of that money made it into the markets. A tremendous amount of it did. So that fed the big rise in the stock market during the time that it was happening. And now the Fed's looking at withdrawing some of that stimulus. In fact, it's doing it now. It's, by September, it'll be at 90 $85 billion per month being withdrawn. That's about a, a pace to be about a trillion dollars per year that it'll be withdrawing. So the Fed has to do this in order to try to get inflation under control. Had it acted when it should have early last year, when inflation numbers were much lower, it wouldn't have had to have been as aggressive. But now it has to be more aggressive. And think of it like a cancer patient who needs to face chemo treatment. If they don't do the chemo treatment, the cancer will do significant damage to the body, just like the uh, inflation will do to our economy. But the chemo itself does a lot of damage to the body as well. And that's what the stock market is worried about, both inflation and the medicine needed to control inflation or get it tamed and under control. Both will do damage to the economy. Does that mean we have to go into a recession? Not necessarily. But this is uncharted territory here that's been created by all the stimulus going into the economy, uh, unprecedented in nature, and then the need to withdraw it and starting to withdraw it too late after it's had a lot of its adverse impact. And so it's a little bit uncharted, and the market's worried about that, and that's measured by the VIX, which is Wall Street's fear index, trading up around 34 this morning, anything above 30 we tend to see money really race to the sideline, both in the equities and the commodities, and that's kind of what we're seeing today. After it races to the sideline, Arlen, and we get the, the market participants get a chance to catch their breath and assess the situation, at the end of the day, physical stocks of, of commodities are very, very tight. Do you envision this cash that's being pulled out of equities or perhaps of bonds today moving back into a big way in the commodities sector? Well, you raise an excellent point there because once the fear goes down, once you find that level of stability, we don't know where that will be, then the money that's there has tremendous amount of power to start looking at which asset has a story. And if at that time we're still looking at a strong story for the food-based commodities, then you would expect them to look very attractive, particularly if they've liquidated as well during that sell-off and at a better buying position so to speak. So that is certainly possible. And we saw a little bit of a microcosm of that back in 2008 when the VIX shot up fear worries over the Great Recession that we had then in the financial crisis. Uh, and as soon as the VIX stabilized in March of 2009, I think it was on March 29th, we saw that money racing back into the ag commodities. So uh, part of that is the money being available. Part of it is, will we still have a story at that point? And, and that's also going to be impacted greatly by whether this high-pressure bridge building over the middle of the country um, just is transitory and moves on, to use the word transitory, or if it gets established in the middle of the country going through the month of July. That's going to be a key question on how much of a story we have once things stabilize. Yes, it is. And that is a story that will be in developing uh, in development rather all summer long. And Arlen, I look forward to picking your brain on that as it gets closer for folks tuning in today. Arlen, where can they follow you to keep up to date with all the information you're tweeting and sharing throughout the day? Yeah, stonex.com or over on Twitter. My handle is Arlen, A-R-L-A-N-F-F-101. Fantastic, folks. Check out Arlen's social media feed and, of course, tune in here. We'll talk to Arlen once a week. And Arlen, thank you so much for joining us and giving us some insight onto what's happening here in this big commodity sector. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA. A lot of international developments happened over the weekend. We'll bring you those updates when the show returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. I drive my bus in a busy city. That's why road safety is so important to me. I know that I must slow down and be extra careful when I make a wide turn. Buses need more room than cars. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, remember to give buses plenty of time and space to finish turning before driving ahead. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger, Larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. How many acres are you keeping an eye on? Another pair of eyes could be very helpful in protecting your ROI, especially ones that are highly trained. And that's what you'll get with an FS Crop Specialist. They can spot issues you might not even know you have using the latest technology, including thermal, drone, and NDVI imaging. Then they can get an early treatment plan started. Contact your local FS Crop Specialist to learn more about our crop scouting services. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out, because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear, because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> do you get it? Yes, good job. So, what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container, because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council.
You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, welcome back, and thanks for making AOA a part of your day today. Arlen Suderman there in that last segment was speaking about the broad-based sell-off we're seeing today in the markets. Both the equities, the commodities, well, and the bond markets are seeing some sell-off as investors move their cash to the sidelines. One place is we are one of the places we are seeing that sell-off happen is in the energy markets today. For the first time in a, in a little while, we're seeing some big movement to the downside in crude oil prices. West Texas Intermediate, that's the American crude uh, contract effectively. That's trading $2 lower right now at the still very elevated price of $118.55 per barrel. We're also seeing declines in natural gas, July natural gas, down 25 cents today, trading at $8.59 per thousand cubic feet of gas, folks. That's what the numbers are trading at right now. I was curious, where was gas here a year ago? What were we trading at a year ago in the natural gas market? And it's pretty staggering. A year ago, the natural gas cash price was $2.33. Excuse me, $3.30. And today we're at $8.50. That's a $5.50 jump in the price of natural gas over the past year, folks. That is indicative of both the demand that we're seeing out there and the tightness of supply, largely due to the lack of refining capacity, the lack of new drilling in this country, and of course, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the upheaval of all crude oil flows throughout the world. Unfortunately for this price decline today, it is probably not going to be sticking around too terribly long. Gas demand is expected to grow for electricity generation. Texas has announced that they are expecting a record a record high use of electricity on Friday due to the fact that this ongoing heat that John Baranek spoke about earlier in the episode will be causing Texans to run their air conditioners all week long. They're saying the lows in Dallas and in Fort Worth are going to be pushing 70 all week long. And this tightness in electricity supplies is not just confined to Texas, folks. This is nationwide. We're seeing generators and transmission facilities around the country issue, if not warnings, at least alert that they are expecting very strong demand. In fact, MISO, the Mid-Continent Independent System Operator, this is the nonprofit sort of co-op uh, type organization that's responsible for the power grid across 15 states and the Canadian province of Manitoba. They have issued a capacity advisory in effect from today through Wednesday. They expect to see demand for power continue to climb over the next two days, with Wednesday being the most severe. So folks, if you can limit your power consumption, give those folks who are working hard to keep us all in electricity, give them a break this week if you can. I did want to take us around the world because there are some global shocks that are developing that might play out into bigger stories. Remains to be seen, but one of those is a trucker strike. Another trucker strike. This one's not in Canada or the U.S. or in Australia or in Europe, which are all places we have seen trucker strikes throughout the COVID pandemic pandemic. This one is taking place in South Korea. And in fact, it has been in place for a week. Uh, so far, thousands of truckers in South Korea went on, trike, on strike last Monday. And so far, there has been over $1.2 billion in economic impact. The government officials call it damages. The strikers call it impact, depending on your point of view, I suppose, how you can read that. But there is not a sign that this is going to end anytime soon. The third round of negotiations between strikers and uh, the, the uh, uh, management has failed. They have announced they will be undergoing a fourth round of negotiations. And so far, it's been said by a lot of uh, manufacturers in South Korea that this strike has not impacted global supply chains. So far, they've had enough goods at the ports. They're still able to meet their export requirements. But if it were to drag on for another week, we could see disruptions coming in products that need to leave South Korea. We could also see the same thing start to happen in China. We talked about this last week. China reintroduced lockdown measures in the city of 27 million people, that is Shanghai. Now they're looking at expanding those. They reported 45 new cases in Beijing of COVID. And remember, China is still working on this COVID zero policy. Their goal is zero spread. That's their new metric, not zero cases. But whenever they get a spread like this, it is, I think, expected 
expected that we are going to see some larger scale lockdowns begin to develop. And that's not the only place that China has been in the news. They have also been issuing warnings largely to American military officials stating that the Taiwan Strait isn't international waters. Folks, this could have huge implications long term. The Taiwan Strait is the stretch of land between the mainland of China and the country of Taiwan, which China still believes is a part of its territory, although the Taiwanese believe they have an independent country. That strait, that Taiwanese strait between those two countries is the place that Taiwan exports most of its goods. Taipei is at the top of the north side of the strait, and the most populated part of Taiwan stretches down that western coast all the way to the southern end. That's where a lot of our chips get manufactured. It's where, well, a lot of Taiwanese manufacturing product gets exported. And for years, armies and navies around the world have used the Taiwan Strait. Vessels of different countries have used the Taiwan Strait. It has been treated as an international water for decades. China appears to want to change this. They are asserting that the Taiwan Strait is part of their exclusive economic zone, and they want to limit the activities of foreign military vessels in those waters. Of course, this happens as the U.S. and Taiwan are wrapping up, or excuse me, ramping up conversations about tying our two countries greater together economically. Taiwan, the leading manufacturer of those all-important chips that have been in short supply throughout COVID. We want to secure those, and to do that, the U.S. government would like to see this Taiwan Strait open, and these conversations with China will be ongoing, but the Chinese military is going to be, uh, I guess, not taking a stand, not fighting back. Anytime we're talking militaries, those are phrases we don't want to use, but they are going to be issuing responses to U.S. actions when they move through the Taiwan Strait. However, Lieutenant Colonel Martin Miners, a Pentagon spokesperson, noted that, quote, the United States will continue to fly, sail, and operate wherever international laws law allows, and that includes transitioning through the Taiwan Strait. Folks, geopolitical events certainly matter. They change the way our trade flows, and that trade changes our bottom line in agriculture. We'll keep up to date on this issue as it will, no doubt, continue to, to develop throughout the year. Tune in tomorrow. We will have more conversations about the role of agriculture, and we'll be bringing those conversations right to you. Join us right here for more AOA on Tuesday. Have a great day, everybody. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me, you don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. Get on board. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board.